listening to the podcast network. Listen, learn, evolve. G'day, Cam. G'day, Rich, and g'day, well, it's the 14th of June, 2006. You can tell you've been to a radio station. Did you listen to me? I did. <laughs> did you Did you like how I got the g'day world slipped in up the front there? <laughs> uh, I don't think Safran noticed. They should have had you on talking about Second Life, not me, mate. Nah, did oh, I, you, you, you did it justice, mate. You, did, you came across like you were confident. Did I sound like? <laughs> did I sound like I knew what I was talking about? Because <laughs> I was just. I was sitting in their lobby, just sort of you know reading the uh, Wikipedia entry on Second Life <laughs> before I went in. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, John. Second Life was invented by Philip Roth, Rosedale, uh, the CTO of Real Networks. He's known as God. <laughs> um. Yeah. What's the What's the guy like? Did, was there any off air time that you had with him? I'm no. assuming you weren't on air all the time. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, um, uh, John's producer Mary Jane came out and got me in the lobby about five minutes before. Said, oh, you, not the taxi driver, I, I assume. <laughs> yes. And she's, the first guy she had in was an African taxi driver. He said, oh, second life. Well, yeah, second life. I think it's very good." <laughs> an Indian African taxi driver um, so she said come and sit on the lounge and uh, for those who don't know what the hell I'm talking about I was on uh, a radio show here a national radio show the other day talking about Second Life and so she um, asked you to sit on the casting lounge did she? <laughs> she said just come and sit out here and then um, John popped out and said hi uh, you ready? and I said yeah and I walked in and and I sat down and Bob said g'day and I put the mic on and we, and, and the funny thing was they, they were playing a music track when they had me in and I heard Mary Jane turn to Safran and she said oh make she said make sure you say that there's a language warning before this next bit and I said what and she and, and she's still talking to John she said just got to tell them there's a language warning and I said oh I can I can talk without swearing you know and then I found <laughs> then I realized that she was actually talking about the next song that the they were going to play <laughs> had a language warning it wasn't about but I'm paranoid you know I think people think that I just say you know cuss words all the time it's because I've been watching too much Deadwood that's what I'm blaming it on Deadwood Deadwood yeah have you watched that yet no you mentioned that the other day didn't you uh, it's I haven't watched much in the last few I watched Doctor Who that's about all I've really watched oh have you been downloading him yeah the latest latest one I reckon he's a better doctor the new guy, whatever. Yeah, his name is. I, I think he's a bit sort of. Uh, he's got a sort of a scarier side to him. Mm. You should uh, drop him on a DVD and send him to me. I can't be fragged downloading them anymore. Um, hey, listen, uh, we got a guest who I've got to link in now. I've got a lot, lot of stuff to talk about today too. Um, not the least of which is our friend Mr. Scoble. Yeah, and Om, and Om uh, too. People who got their podcasting starts on this very program, ladies and gentlemen, have announced that they're quitting their day jobs and going to startups. Uh, one Scoble going to Podtech on it, obviously going to do, you know, and you go back and listen to the first show he did with us. He's, he's been on a couple of TPN, but he's been on your show at least once. Yep. He's been on G'day World twice. And he always goes, ah, oh, and I, I always say to him, you should do a podcast for us, Robert. He goes, ah, oh, I don't like the sound of my own voice. Oh, no, <laughs> I got a terrible voice. I can't listen to my voice. What does he do? He goes and starts a podcasting thing with bloody John Furrier. Anyway, good luck yeah. to them both. Anyway, so I'm going to get Douglas Nickel on. Now, Doug is... Uh, I mentioned Doug the other day, and uh, we were going to get him on, and then he sort of forgot. Um, we didn't have his phone number. Well, I didn't have his phone number, but he wasn't there anyway. He, he sent me an email a couple of hours later going, Oh, sorry, I completely forgot, and uh, blah, 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 blah. So, but now I do have his phone number, and I know he is sitting there waiting because um, he's sending me an email saying I'm sitting here waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going, let's just keep him holding for a little bit longer. <laughs> so, uh, let me just see if this will work. Because you know what Skype's like. Sometimes it works, sometimes it never doesn't know. work. It's like, it's like Russian roulette. Uh, you ever played Russian roulette? No. Have you? 
no. I really want to, though. Oh, I'd rather not. That's how I'm going to go out. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right, here we go. G'day, I'm Des Paros. I'm Bear. And I'm Andrew Bowie. And together we're the hosts of The Surface Interval on the Podcast Network. The Surface Interval is a podcast about scuba diving, underwater photography and the underwater world. We get together to talk about what's been happening in our part of the world. The world of diving. And we also get to chat to some very interesting people. It's a show about diving. By divers. For divers. So visit us at surfaceinterval.thepodcastnetwork.com or search for a surface interval in iTunes. The surface interval. Listen. Dive. Evolve. All right, well, Skype did fail on us there, folks, yet again, so I had to restart the whole thing. But we now have Douglas on the line. Now, Douglas, we, we sort of gave you a bit of a uh, pimping the other day when we were thought you were coming on the show but I couldn't find you we were talking about how you're one of Australia's gurus in direct marketing now I know that you had a fairly senior role at George Patterson the big ad agency uh, as managing partner for the direct marketing and CRM stuff and then you've sort of been solo for the last year I know that you're on the board of the Australian Direct Marketing Association and uh, you're writing a book on direct marketing and doing a podcast series on direct marketing. Is that right? Indeed, absolutely. And a website. So for my sins, I've been keeping myself busy in the last 12 months. <laughs> Excellent. Now, you know, I guess we, we talk a lot about um, podcasting and its potential uses for people in marketing and people in PR to communicate in a different kind of fashion with their stakeholders. What, what, what do you see as being the opportunities around podcasting from a direct marketing perspective, you being the guru and everything? <laughs> well, thanks, Cameron. Um, I, I reckon there are, despite some shortcomings in, in terms of um, the, uh, what a podcast does and doesn't do, because on, on the face of it, there are some flaws with the channel for a direct marketer. I mean, flaw number one is that it's one-way communication, um, and another is that it can, can be consumed and uh, um, and uh, subscribe to anonymously without any personal information with the subscriber. But having said that, it, its single most exciting aspect is the fact that the consumer listens very closely and very single-mindedly to the content. And uh, in a world where getting the consumers into attention and getting the engagement of the consumer is really difficult, the, the podcast has a lot to offer. So, so I think providing you overcome the, the, the two flaws in the channel successfully, and I think you can, and I think there's, there's a lot of good examples of that of direct marketers using it well. Um, it, it can actually be a very, very important tool for the direct marketer in the future. I mean, I think that there are ways around those two drawbacks that you mentioned. You, I mean, you can set it up if you want to, to make sure that people have to register in order to subscribe to a show. I guess most podcasters, though, don't want to put additional barriers between their content and their audience. And the feedback stuff, I mean, we, we have a variety of tools that enable people to participate in the show. Of course, most of them don't because they're slack, but uh, <laughs> if they wanted to get off their ass, I keep telling them this is participatory media, which means you're supposed to participate. We have. Absolutely. They can leave audio feedback. They can come on the show. We keep inviting them. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, comments fields. There's audio comments. There's a whole range of ways that people can. It doesn't have to be, you know, just, uh, a unidirectional form of content. And, and, I, and, and I think a lot of relationships in direct marketing start anonymously anyway. Um, when, you, when you're trying to recruit a new customer, you want to start having a conversation. <laughs> and the great thing about this channel is that it allows us to deliver some pretty relevant messages. So even if somebody you know, listens to a podcast about, I don't know, wine from, say, Seller Masters, the direct seller of wine, initially that might be an anonymous relationship, but providing the content good and the offers are good, I think you can very quickly lead to an interaction, either online interaction or a phone interaction or whatever it is. So so I think, uh, you know, if, if providing we as direct marketers are putting relevant value propositions on the table, I think you can you can turn that anonymous relationship very easily into a, uh, a very personal, individual, one-to-one -one relationship. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to a, a potential advertiser for TPN at the moment, and one of the things that they want to do with their ads in the podcast is provide a custom URL for listeners of the podcast to go and log into to register for a discount or something like that. So, as you say, you, mm. you can take those people, give them uh, an action that's tied to the podcast, and you can start to figure out who they are and, and what they're interested in. Because I think, the, in, in a sense, the podcast c- could be a, uh, and this hopefully doesn't sound insulting, could be the direct mail brochure of the future because, uh, you, know, the, you know, the brochure in, in, in an direct, offline direct mail piece has always been a very important selling tool. But the podcast, I think, uh, in the future, if you could have personalized podcasts that you send to prospects um, that talk about the product, not in the boring old sort of product brochure sort of way, but in a way that feels like editorial, in a way that feels entertaining and informative first and selling second, a distant second hopefully, I think it could be a very interesting uh, way and so I, I would be interested to know if there are any uh, pieces of technology that would allow audio personalization of, of podcasts because that really would get the, the, the direct market are very hot and sweaty. Ooh, what a terrible thought! Hot and sweaty marketers. Ugh, it's like hot and sweaty. <laughs> it's like hot and sweaty actuaries, really, isn't it? It's just it hot. It's like John Howard, hot and sweaty. You just don't want to think about it. Indeed, indeed. But look, I, I love. Um, you, you've probably talked about the American Express travel cast series that they did doing the uh, Turin Winter Olympics, and I think it's a sort of an hour-long guide to a city, and that includes sort of restaurant discounts and uh, discounts to get into museums and galleries and stuff. And uh, and, I, and I believe they're planning to extend that to have lots of different podcast travel cast city guides. Uh, and possibly have a video version of that as well. And, and I think that's a fantastic example and a fantastic reason to buy your holiday through American Express because if you get all this added value, um, it really builds an emotional loyalty. And so I think that's that's one of my favorite examples at the moment. And, of course, American Express are doyens of the direct marketing world. They're our heroes. What are the direct marketing people sort of thinking of podcast? Are, are a lot of people talking about it, or are they? Don't a lot know of people about are talking about it. A lot of people are talking about it, but I think a lot of people are scared because they don't yet understand it. Because they they have this real sense that an awful lot of people are doing it, but they haven't. Because a lot of marketers, you know, the, you know, a lot of marketers, particularly their marketers who are over the age of thirty, would never have done this. And uh, and a lot of marketing directors, you know, they they wouldn't have done it personally, and so they 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 feel it's a little bit of, of a mysterious medium. But uh, and so I think. Um, I think a lot of the, the marketing directors in Australia need to get off their asses and actually try some of these new forms of media themselves and, uh, and and then they'll really get to understand the value that they can offer. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge. But the good thing is as, you know, the 20-something audience moves up the ranks, they've naturally grown up uh, in a world full of podcasting. They'll just naturally see that as uh, as a tool that they use in marketing. So I think, you know, the future is, is very bright because uh, it'll just be part and parcel of the marketer's life in, in the future. But I think it's the old guys that uh, need to get off their asses and, and, uh, and actually experiment a bit. Can I pull that last quote out and put it in my uh, investor presentation? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the future yeah. is very bright for podcasting, says Douglas Nicholl. <laughs> and, and make sure you put in, in the it, old it, guys. It, it's sort of funny because what... What I reckon is that everyone calls this an emerging channel. Bullshit, it's an, it's an emerged channel because just look at the numbers of people who in Australia who are, who are listening to podcasts. This is not emerging, this is emerged. What's emerging is the marketer's um, use for, uh, you know, for the podcast. And, uh, and so I think that's a, an important differentiation because it's just something that people have naturally you know, taken to, uh, quite organically taken to, and uh, and now the marketers wondering how the hell they're going to use it. Well, what, what do you? Uh, you know, you've talked a bit about American Express doing their own podcast, but w- what do you think the opportunity is for marketers to tap into the existing podcasts that are out there that already have an audience? I mean, we, we've done some interesting advertising deals on TPN over the last year, and we're looking at doing a lot more, obviously, but. I find that there's a there's a, a sort of mental shift that advertisers need to make when they're thinking of podcasts because they they may be used to taking out a radio or a TV 
commercial that will reach 500,000 people or a couple of million people, but only a tiny percentage of those are probably people that are actively looking for that product at any given point in time. Whereas with a podcast, you might reach five or 10 or 50,000 people with an ad, but they're all, you know, actively subscribing to a show about that product, and so they're, you know, they're, it's more targeted, I think, but that, that seems to be a mental shift for advertisers and marketers. Do you think they're going to get their head around it in the near future? I think they're starting to get their um, head around it. I mean, I think people are starting to get away from this volume obsession that marketers have had over the last 15 years because in the past, the channels that we used were volume-driven channels um, where it was it was really about reach and frequency, lots of low-level impact communication hitting the consumer. Going forward... I'm convinced it's about the depth and the quality of interactions that we have with, with consumers. And that means you need to get off your ass and get your targeting really tight um, and really understand who your target audience is, you know, in the, you know, the tens, twenties, hundred thousands, rather than talking in terms of, you know, you know, half a million people that you want to talk to. And uh, I think particularly the advertising community needs to think differently about that. But, but I think certainly if you see what the senior people at American Express and IBM are talking about that certainly uh, in the US they're certainly starting to get into this mindset where it's not about a volume game um, but for, for direct marketers specifically um, what is very exciting about podcasting is we have always had a big problem in Australia with good quality lists so these are the names and addresses of people who we want to communicate with typically through direct mail channels offline and there's been very few good lists in Australia typically because we didn't have a mail order industry here a lot of the big direct marketing uh, countries like the US and the UK they, they grew out of the mail order business where people are buying clothes and all sorts of stuff through uh, mail order catalogs and that bred a whole list industry and we don't have that here strangely considering we're such a um, sort of large country with a small population we've never had that so lists are a problem and getting good quality lists and the beautiful thing that I love about podcasting is I can go in and I can look at you know uh, Napoleon 101 which is you know I think one of your education shows and uh, and I can get to a group who you know might be very interested in buying a series of books on history or uh, you know a series of DVDs on history or, or, or whatever or you know if I go to Wine for Newbies which I think is a popular one uh, for wine uh, aficionados in, in the US you know if I'm Stellar Masters the direct selling wine company this you know this podcast and the people listening to it is is the new list it's the new way to talk to uh, to your target audience in in quite an added value way rather than the sort of crass buy me buy me sort of uh, um, style of communication we've had in the past so i think podcasting for the direct marketer yields um, you know an opportunity to build lists um, quite successfully with some very niche audiences and uh, and that's that puts a smile on my face. So what's your book going to be about, mate? Is it about the sort of new technologies and how to apply them to direct marketing, or is it a broader it's, view? Um, the book is called Mongrel Marketing, and the philosophy, and in a sense, the whole thing is about a philosophy that I've developed, which says that the future cannot be about purebred marketers. The future marketers, both on the client side, on the agency side, cannot be good at just one thing. Um, they need, given the proliferation of channels, given the way the consumer is acting and behaving, um, we need to be have a much better understanding of, of different marketing disciplines. So there's no point just being good at traditional offline direct marketing, or there's no point just being good at traditional advertising. You actually need to be cross-bred in, in some of the different marketing disciplines and that doesn't mean you need to be an expert in everything but you need to be a better weaver of the different disciplines so you weave together the disciplines in order to get the result because if you're a purebred marketer in 10 years time you'll be extinct because you'll be so inbred horribly inbred uh, because and because you don't understand anything else and there's no other influences in your life you'll uh, stop getting results you'll actually be completely impotent which is the classic, the classic sign of, of uh, too much inbreeding uh, in certain marketing disciplines. So mongrel marketing says you've got to be crossbred, and mongrel marketing is about helping people to crossbreed themselves a bit so that they actually get better results for their clients and, uh, and to be honest, have a more interesting career. 
Otherwise, they'll end up like Hobart. That's what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, it'll, uh, so there's book, uh, podcast, and website combination. That's uh, um, how I'm uh, how I'm handling it. Got a URL for it yet? Uh, yeah, it's going to launch shortly. Um, the website and the first podcast will launch shortly. It's uh, www.mongrelmarketing.com.au, and that should be up um, next next week, in fact. So, uh, and the first podcast is about the world of mobile marketing and the use of the mobile in in the marketing mix. And I've got an interview with uh, David Burden, who's CEO of Legion Interactive, which is one of the the leading preeminent mobile marketing companies in Australia. Yeah, mobile marketing meaning SMS. SMS, MMS, um, 3G, video, internet access, anything that uses the mobile as an instrument to, to get a sale or to get a get a conversation or even just a brand interaction. Nike, I talk about uh, Nike doing a really interesting um, launch of uh, their uh, new sneaker in the in, in New York um, through the use of the mobile. So uh, so it's uh, it's uh, it's another interesting area. Yeah, excellent. Well, you'll have to let us know when that shows up, and we'll be able to link to it uh, off of. Uh, TPN. Yeah, I will, absolutely, I will. Thank you. Hey, um, so I wanted to ask you what you thought about AdSense. I mean, AdSense um, from the from outside the industry, it seems to me that AdSense is it should be having a huge impact on advertisers and uh, advertising and marketing. But from inside the industry, can you give us a little bit of a hint about what the view is towards AdSense? Uh, look, I, I, I think, like all these things, as a direct marketer, you can look at um, finding a customer in quite a clinical way, uh, or you can look at it in a way that's sales-based. So you can look at, um, you know, for instance, search engines as a purely clinical um, u- utility that uh, matches you with, uh, you know, a, a company, or you can look at it as a sales channel. And I think um, a lot of people are still looking at it as uh, as a yellow pages as opposed to a selling channel and I and I think you know my concern is that if it's too much of a utility it actually just becomes um, you know searching the yellow pages as opposed to a selling channel okay so so what does that mean I didn't I don't really follow <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's well, contextual. Let, let, me, let, let me give you an example. Yeah. An example would be if I put in a long-distance telephony into uh, a search engine, right? Yep. I'm going to get a couple of different, um, depending on how smart the telco is, I'll get one telco saying, here's the name of our telco, link to our website, and you'll just go to their website. Or you will uh, get somebody who's actually saying, you know, if you're looking for long distance, we've got a great offer at the moment. Here's the offer, and that actually appears in the the search result, and uh, and then links to the to the website with a personalised landing page um, based on on that particular offer. Now that's using it uh, in a in a sales driven way, as opposed to just using it as a uh, as a basic uh, search mechanism. Isn't everyone just using Skype for long-distance telephony now anyway, so the, the race is over? Well, I, absolutely. Although it's funny because long-distance telephony, I come from Dublin, and uh, it is so cheap using telcos to call Dublin now. I mean, it's just it's much cheaper than calling Adelaide. It's How did you end up with such so a posh British accent if you come from <laughs> Dublin? <laughs> Uh, well, I went to school and university in Dublin, and I just, yeah, I don't know where I picked it up. It was just, it's very bad. If you're Irish and you sound like this, you spend your life going, no, I'm not English, I'm Irish. It's like, uh, it's yeah. like Canadians being called American. You've got a mongrel accent. I, I actually do. I actually have a mongrel accent. I've got an Australian wife. I've got, you know, a Scottish parents. I grew up in Dublin, and I've worked in London, so I truly have a mongrel, mongrel accent. All right, Douglas. Well, thanks for coming on the show, mate, and uh, giving us the direct marketing view on podcasting. Looking forward to hearing your show, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on from time to time. You can tell us about how it's going. Yeah, will do. Good on you. Douglas Nickel, mongrelmarketing.com.au or just .com? .com .com.au. .com.au. Talk to you soon, mate. Great. Thanks. Cheers. All right. That was interesting. 
Yeah, there's one thing that it'll be interesting to see how everybody who's listening sort of um, considers it. We, when we did a blog night a couple of years ago, when we started to talk about, you know, anything kind of commercial in relation to blogs at the time, uh, there's a lot of people got hot and sweaty. So it'll be interesting to see if people start to get pissed because we're talking about um, marketing in relation to podcasts, which is inevitable, and you know, it's it's good. Everybody, it's good for the business because otherwise. People like Cam and I can't actually eat anything. <laughs> we get hungry when we don't have any money. Who's going to pay for our hookers? <laughs> our porn, our cocaine. Someone's got to pay for the cocaine. No, only joking. But yeah, no, seriously. I mean, yeah, look, it is. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, bad sort of direct marketing podcasts and stuff out there. But the good thing is you don't have to listen to them. Yeah, you know, it's... We, it's it's even better. I mean, let's face it, if you... Because I hate those stupid bullshit ones that come on on weekends um, on TV and you can just turn them off, but there's a limited amount of choice. Whereas with podcasting, you'd literally... You'd, you could switch off a podcast and never go back to it and still be have your iPod filled for the rest of your life. You know, you just there's just so much choice. Which is actually going to, you know, as they start to come to groups with it, it's going to force marketers to get smarter about producing good quality, entertaining content, mm. and which is you should, you know, by the laws of uh, physics, drive their general quality of marketing content up over the next few years. So, yeah, look, I think it'll be a good thing over time. And hopefully, you know, they will also engage podcasts like ours, you know, independent podcasters that are building an audience that have, you know, I was going to say that have the respect of their audience, and I thought, shit, we don't get any respect <laughs> from our audience. They diss us. Um, yeah, man. <clears throat> now, All of a sudden, I'm Tonto. Tonto, that's right. Well, it's better than being a sock puppet, man. Nice. Uh, at least I don't have my hand up your ass. Um, yet... <laughs> Now, listen, uh, I might have something else up there. Hey, that, that's unconfirmed. I don't know whether that was established or not in The Lone Ranger. <laughs> yeah, it was the original Brokeback Mountain, The Lone Ranger in Tonto, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, uh, we've got uh, a shout-out from a listener here, so uh, I might just play it. Cam and Rich on G'day World on the Podcast Network. Make my life this, that meal ball bearable. Great news, great stories, interesting opinions. This is Luke Ross just doing a shout-out for the guys. Thank you, Luke Ross. Very Thanks good of you, mate. Very good of you to go to the effort, unlike the rest of the listeners who couldn't the other be, 26 people. <laughs> couldn't be bothered getting off their ass. Rocket Boom's got 300,000 listeners, and our 26 can't even get off their ass to, you know, leave us a little message on uh, on the old audio comments thing. Um uh, now, today, just to be different, rather than do the tech news, because let's face it, there's no tech news apart from Scoble. 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 <laughs> I showed my wife the other night. I was on TechMeme. Out of the tw- 12 yeah. stories on the front page of TechMeme, 10 of them were about Scoble. I'm going, what? Like, why? Why? Why the 10? I mean, I, you know, it's big news. It's big news well, in Paul Kedrosky said that it, it was a sad state of affair for bloggers when it was such big news. Yeah. He, he sort of thought it was a bit sad, really. I mean, people commit suicide in Guantanamo Bay, and the US call it a PR stunt. But, you know, let's talk about Scoble. <laughs> but you know, look, it, it's a big thing um, for podcasting. It's a big thing for Robert. It's a big thing for PodTech.net. I met John Furrier in New York last year. He's a lovely guy. He's a nice guy, and uh, you know, I wish him all the best. Well, I mean, it's it's big news for us specifically for a couple of reasons. Because I mean, and Scoble won't be coming we, back on our shows anymore. No, that's right. <laughs> well, we know Scoble, but the I mean, the, the and and it's you know from that point of view it's kind of important um, to us and you know good luck to him and, and that but it's also important to us because he's moving into podcasting which he's now saying is going to be big and and it's just really good news for podcasting I think um, you know yes. hopefully it, it raises the profile the, the profile and if, if if Robert can do for podcasting what he did for Microsoft <laughs> in the next few years, and you know you got to take your your hat off to Rob. I mean, I was at Microsoft when Robert joined in two thousand and three, and um, you know he just created a revolution in terms of the visibility of Microsoft in the online community with the blogging and then the Channel Nine stuff. That you know he was a, a one man bloody dynamo. Now there's three thousand odd bloggers there. He didn't do. He wasn't the first blogger. 
Um, but he obviously did more than anyone else in terms of building the profile of blogging and sort of getting unofficial permission inside of the company that blogging was okay within limits. Of course, they still tried to steamroll over my blog, but we don't talk about that. Um, how, did he, how did he do it? Because I haven't really looked at... Uh, I mean, I assumed when I started reading Scoble that he was already well-known. And he was marginally, wasn't he? But not an awful lot. So so he, he raised his and Microsoft's profile by, what, just spilling the beans, talking a lot about internal stuff? Well, he was, yeah, he was already, you know, a fairly well-known blogger in blogging circles back in 2003. And I went, I went back the other day and read through his blog sort of for the couple of months leading up to the Microsoft thing. And then a month or two after, just to see <laughs> what was going on in his blog before and after. And it was interesting because he did a lot of pro-Microsoft stories about a month before he joined the company. <laughs> it was saturated with pro-Microsoft stuff. And and he's you know, done quite a few pro-PodTech stories yes. over the last yeah. month. So, you know, the trend is there. The next time you see Robert writing a lot of pro stories about a company, it's a fair chance he's, he's going for a job there. Um, but... Um, uh, yeah, so he's fairly well known, but, um, you know, obviously when he started, and, and he was pretty well known in, you know, he used to work with Dave Weiner, and Dave's obviously had a big profile, and he was sort of in the, you know, the sort of geek circle in sort of Silicon Valley, um, before he moved up to Seattle. So he, he knew a lot of geeks, he was very well known in the geeks, and it was a big thing for somebody at Microsoft to be talking openly about, What's going on at Microsoft? He was fairly critical early on. I mean, he really stuck because he was kind of employed as a blogger um, when, you know, um, Len Pryor and Jeff Sanquist and those guys got him into the company. They knew he was a blogger. They wanted him to keep blogging. They liked what he'd been doing. So he was he was brought in with, you know, advanced permission to blog. Mm. And uh, it was kind of his job, really, because he's not a geek. I mean, he's not a developer. Um, so he, he was brought in really to, as, as kind of an evangelist, I guess. And, uh, that, that was pretty big. I mean, there weren't any other major technology companies back then that had, you know, quasi official bloggers on staff blogging. Um, Robert was at, at, at NEC before that, blogging about the NEC tablet PC and a few things like that. So anyway, he, uh, yeah, he just took it to a new level. Anyway, let's not talk about Robert. I'm, I'm, I'm scobled out. Too much scoble news. There's too many other things to talk about. And what I thought we'd do today, mate, rather than talk about tech news, is about some of the other stuff that's on out there. Um, I'm going through Ray Kurzweil's site, and there's a lot of uh, scientific stuff that I thought we could throw up today. I'm uh, getting a little bit bored with just, you know, tech news of there's the day. other stuff outside <laughs> of tech. Yeah, there is. Uh, well, the one tech story before we go, though. The new version of Google Earth has been released, version 4. That is, and I downloaded it last night, and it, and geez, it, I shouldn't have realised it before. That is just pure genius. When I was in the States, and of course I'm going again, so I'm paying a lot more attention to Google Earth to find hotels and stuff like that. It's a marvellous piece of technology, but now that they've included some of the 3D um, modelling that actually maps onto a city so that it, you can see exactly where they're going. So you'll be able to zoom down a street and see how a street looks and figure out where you want to go. All the stuff that they're trying to do with, um, I think, Microsoft Live and and stuff with sort of photographs, these guys are going to be doing it in 3D models and it just, yeah, it's brilliant. Pure it is. genius. It is absolutely genius. And it reminds me of the stuff I was looking at, you know, a few years ago when I was into supercomputing. And I was going into these supercomputing labs and doing exactly this, you know, basically walking through three-dimensional representations of cities to do town planning and that kind of stuff. I mean, but they're doing it, obviously, uh, making it available for the PC. You don't need a mm. you don't need a supercomputer lab to do it now. It's really, really mind-boggling. And that the resolution on this new version of uh, Google Earth is just mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it's so, and it's so quick, and ah, it's just marvellous technology. I mean, it, it was, I don't know if you can still, you can't, I know with Google Maps you can get the street names in Australia. I'm not sure if you can get it here in Australia for Google Earth yet, but it's just so useful to be able to, when you're in a place that you don't really know, 
to be able to actually see it properly and zoom in and then of course then if you can get down to street level and see you know okay these buildings you actually get a sense of actually being there already and so then when you're walking through the real street it's just a breeze because you've kind of already been there and what I, what I've been thinking about is if you imagine the idea of second life mapped onto these sorts of environments. So imagine rather than walking through a completely virtual world, if you had the ability to enter into your own city or town virtually and go about transacting the business that you want to transact and doing stuff that you want to do in an environment like this. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not too far from bloody Neuromancer and, uh, you know, Snow Crash here, you know? Yes, I'm not surprised you brought that up because I know you're the expert on Second Life. No, I am. When I, um, I'm going to do the Father Bob show tomorrow. What I'm going to do is I'm, I'm we're going to set Bob up in Second Life and I'm going to put a video camera over my shoulder. I'm going to video the process of setting Bob up in Second Life with a, an avatar and yeah. figuring out what kind of avatar. That's going to be our show for tomorrow. It should be a hoot. I'm hoping it's going to run on his old clunky PC that has no bandwidth. You reckon he's going to go for something that looks similar to him or he's going to go far out sort of stuff like have a, a furry animal type thing? Well, I'm thinking, because I was saying on the show that I don't think there's a prophet yet for Second Life. Ah, oh, yeah, mate. I'm going to make him out to be a prophet, you know, with uh, the long robes and maybe angel's wings, because you can bald. buy angel's wings. <laughs> We're making him out to be a, you know... And an ACDC T-shirt. Little halo above his head. Yeah, that's right, the Akadaka T-shirt. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think he should be an old bloke. I think he should be young and beautiful and uh, and uh, androgynous, appeal <laughs> to all the sexes. Anyway, it, it should be a hoot. It should be a lot of fun. Um, okay, so rest of the stuff that I wanted to talk about, let's get on to more important news. There's a really interesting series um, being run on the CNN Future Summit at the moment. They've got um, Bill Joy, Ray Kurzweil, who for some reason on their site they're calling Kurtzweil, V-E-I-L. Kurtzweil! Instead of Kurzweil. That's um, his, his long-lost... Um, twin brother that uh, went to Germany uh, at, at birth. They split them at birth. He went to Germany. That's it. Um, and you know, so but they're basically getting together, Bill and, and Ray and a few others, to talk about the future. You know, the transhumanist future that we're moving on. And yeah, you know, I was thinking the other day. I don't talk enough about transhumanism on this show, and I should because you should. You know, transhumanism has been a big part of what I've been thinking about for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, we, we, the, the, the original idea for the show was to talk about that kind of stuff. We'll get more people thinking about it and talking about it. I should set up a new show on TPN and just do a transhumanist show, get everyone on. I've been looking for someone to host one for me. I'm just going to have to do it myself. I figure I'm just going to have to host every show myself. Uh, day in, day out, I'm just going to be hosting shows because uh, I can't find enough good people. If you're out there listening to this and you, you want to do a podcast on a subject, please email me. I'm getting depressed. I can't find people to do good shows. People, and the, and the, the, the office that I do get, people go, oh, yeah, me and my mate are doing a show. It's just wacky. I go, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, just wacky stuff, whatever, whatever comes up. I say, yeah, we've already got one of those. It's called G'day World. We're <laughs> I want intelligent shows on intelligent topics. I'm, I'm the only person who's allowed to do just, you know, a stream of consciousness show. That's right. Anyway, um, so, you know, the, the setup for this thing, it's called Heaven or Hell. How will technology shape our future? Humanity is the, is the verge of an... Shit, CNN need an editor. Should read, humanity is on the verge of an incredible future. Technologies that seem like science fiction are already becoming science fact as researchers develop innovations that will transform the very essence of what it is to be human. The pace of change is exponential, not linear, says inventor, entrepreneur, author and futurist Ray Kurzweil. So things 50 years from now will be very different. That's pretty phenomenal. It took us 15 years to sequence HIV, but we sequenced SARS in 31 days. Um, it reminds me of uh, one of my kids, Hunter, comes home from school the other day and I was, we were driving around somewhere and um, my kids started asking me how many days were left before I died, great. which is always great, yeah. And I said, well, you know, I hope there's a lot, but you know, I, I hope that I don't die. I, I want to become immortal. And uh, Hunter said to me, uh, my teacher Jane says that that's not true. 
<laughs> and I said, what's not true? And so I got the story of apparently she had asked, she was asking all the kids what they want to be when they grow up. And Hunter, when, if you're asking that, he says he wants to be a robot and live forever. Because <laughs> yeah. he's been listening to me talk about, you know, you know, upgrading our bodies uh, using nanotech and stuff. I saw and Dr. Who the other day. There you go. And his teacher, the bitch, goes, oh, that's not true. And I, so I said to my kids, well, who, who do you think is smarter, me or your teacher? And they went, <laughs> they went, oh, Jane. <laughs> I said, what? They said, well, she went to university and you didn't. And I'm like, you know, just because somebody goes to university doesn't mean they're smarter. Your mother went to university. Who do you think smarter, me or mummy? They go, mummy. <laughs> I said, why do you think mummy's smarter? She's got a job. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm not winning this argument. So then I, then I had to go into lengthy detail explaining to my five-year-olds about nanotech they, they can now speak quite fluently about nanotech. I said, right, go back into school and say to Jane, nanotech, yeah. what do you know about nanotechnology, Jane? And then, you know, start explaining. I basically, I had them talking about nanotech as, I was walking around the supermarket, pushing a shopping trolley with one of them walking beside me, explaining nanotech. Well, you know, you know what a molecule is? You know, we're, we're starting to be able to build machines the size of molecules, and they're going to go into our bodies and be able to repair them and upgrade them and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, my my kids are already only five and they're already starting to go, you know what, Daddy? Yeah, you're really not the smartest guy out there. My teacher's smarter than you. Bah! <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, you really you should check that out, folks. If you haven't read Kurzweil's books, if you haven't read Engines of Creation by um, Eric Drexler, I, I've actually been rereading it recently again as a dot lit, an e-book. Um, so, and it's just fantastic stuff, you know. And the thing to remember about nanotech is it's based on hard science. This isn't science fiction. This isn't crazy shit. It's based on hard science, hard physics. We're doing it today. You know, we as Kurz, as not Kurzweil, as Drexler says in Engines of Creation, how do we know that we can build machines the size of molecules? Because you know, nature's been doing it for billions of years. We already have machines the size of molecules. They're called RNA. Uh, you know, they, they exist in our cells today. That's what they are. All we're talking about doing is being able to manipulate them and build smarter ones that do our bidding, rather than do the bidding of evolution. Um, yeah. Did you read the? Somebody had put a, a magnet in there. What was it? It was a a rare magnet or something. I can't remember. Obviously, a natural one. They'd stuck it in, surgically inserted it into their finger, and they could feel, you know, uh, when you when your hard drive would spin up or when there was electricity running through a cable and stuff like that. Is this recently? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago. Well, it may have happened ages ago, but it hit the blogosphere and a few other sites. Uh, I think Boing Boing maybe even reported it uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got it here in Wired. A sixth sense for a wired world. Uh, I was, yeah, it was Wired. That's right. I was thinking to myself, of course you can feel it. The magnet's trying to rip out the fucking front of your finger. <laughs> but I thought it was intriguing. Well, I mean, it's an interesting idea, having those sorts of technologies inserted into you. Um, I wonder if it's... Uh, no, it's not. Ah, oh, these are body mods. There were body mod people that did it. Um, I'll put the link for this up on uh, up on uh, the site from Wired. What if, what if seconds before your laptop began stalling, you could feel the hard drive spin up under the load, or you could tell if an electrical cord was live before you touched it? For the few people who have rare earth magnets implanted in their fingers, these are among the reported effects. A finger that feels electromagnetic fields along with the normal sense of touch. It's been described as a buzzing sensation, a tingling, an oscillation, movement, pure stimulation, and in the case of body modification expert Shannon Larratt's encounter with a too powerful anti-theft gateway at a retail store, like sticking your hand in an ultrasonic cleaner. Ooh. There was a, there's a guy uh, at a university in England who, in the late 90s... He got put bagged out by many people. Yeah, he did, yeah. Uh, University of uh, Warwick, I think. That's the or, one. Well, Professor Warwick from the University Professor of Reading. Warwick, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Going back six or seven years, you'll remember when this was in Wired. But he put um, a chip 
in his arm and was trying to do all sorts of stuff with you know he had a, a basically like an RFID chip in his arm and when he walked into his office uh, the uh, you know sort of uh, alarm system would unlock and it would welcome him and all that kind of stuff and he was experimented for a few weeks with chips in his arms I'm all for that I reckon we need more integration of electronic components in our bodies I just want to be able to do what Neo did in the Matrix stop bullets well, I want to be able to bungee jump without having to be uh, physically under threat of dying because someone actually hit the floor. <laughs> yeah, because it was a rubber floor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It goes through the floor. Um, uh, yeah, but you know, we, uh, imagine. I, uh, you know, it pisses me off having to carry around keys, and I've been saying for years I, I shouldn't have keys. I should have either fingerprint ID for my car and for my house. Or a combination of fingerprint and password, or fingerprint and voice, or whatever it is. But what if the door smells you when it opens? (laughs) What are you suggesting about me, Rich? You've never (laughs) even met me. Well, you can smell it through Skype. You got a scratch and sniff Skype vision. Yeah, I do. Smell o vision. Um, yeah, but uh, imagine if you had one of these sort of chip inserted in your finger, and uh, you walked up to your car and went beep beep. And then you just held your finger up to the dash and it then it started up. That's what we should be doing. It's 2006. Where are these things? I'd Damn like it. it. I'd like it for it to malfunction and for when I walked past everybody's car, it would unlock. It would be funny. Excellent. Yes. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for spreading that idea out there, Rich. That's going <laughs> to stop people investing in it for another few years. A few more tech things quickly before we go. Um... A minority of people with autism have one or more extraordinary intellectual talents, such as the rapid ability to calculate the day of the week for a given date or to count large numbers of discrete objects almost instantaneously. They're often called autistic savants or idiot savants. Now, Alan Snyder and colleagues have shown that by placing a pulsing magnet over a specific area of the brain, these kind of abilities can, to some extent, be induced in people who aren't autistic. Mm, I read that. It was fascinating stuff. Twelve healthy participants were given several chances to estimate from 50 to 150 how many blobs appeared on a computer screen. The blobs appeared for just 1.5 seconds, and the number of blobs changed on each attempt. Remarkably, the performance of 10 of the subjects improved drastically after Snyder's team applied 15 minutes of low-frequency transcranial magnetic stimulation to their left anterior temporal lobe, which is the one that I had fractured and I have brain damage in, which is why I can tell how many people are listening to this show in an instant second. It's like four. There's four people right now live listening to this show. A brain region that's been implicated in autistic people with rare counting and calculating abilities. So there you go. Yeah, I I thought that was pretty cool. And... um the stuff that the people with autism can do is just amazing. Some of the have you seen the the autistic um, guy who has created a city? No, I mean, not not physically created one, but he's he's mapped it out. He's got maps. He's drawn it. He's got like street level three D drawings of it. Literally, it's a whole city, and he's got everything mapped out. Basically, I think I'm not sure if he's even got the people in there, but I know he's got you know stores and companies and all of this just mapped out. Probably mostly in his head, but he's got it all drawn out. It's fascinating stuff. Wow, that is fascinating stuff. Um, here's another piece of news that I like. Uh, this is uh, from South Korea. You've got to love your South Korean scientists these days. They've got so much respect and credibility after the whole, yeah, we didn't really clone it. I know we said we cloned it, but we didn't really, a uh, case from a couple of months ago. But I dreamt it, so it's close enough. <laughs> you ever have one of those dreams? You wake up and you think it was real? <laughs> That's what happened. A team of South Korean scientists on Sunday claimed to have created a cellular fountain of youth or a small molecule which enables human cells to avoid aging and dying. The team, professor, headed by Professor Kim Tae-Cook at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, argued the newly synthesized molecule named CGK733 can even make cells younger. 
according to the Korea Times. The findings were featured by the Britain-based Nature Chemical Biology Online early today will be printed as a cover story in the journal's offline edition early next month. All cells face an inevitable death as they age. On this path, cells become lethargic and in the end stop dividing. But we wis- we witnessed that CGK733 can block the process, Kim said. We also found the synthetic compound can reverse aging by revitalizing already lethargic cells. Theoretically, this can give youth to the elderly via rejuvenating cells. Holy shit! Talked about the other day that the reason cells etc die is because of RNA. Was that was that what you were talking about the other day? Well, one of the theories that's been around since the late nineties is around telomerase and how, as the RNA is copying the DNA, it uh, you know it, it ends up cutting through the telomerase, which hangs off each end of the DNA, and then starts cutting into the DNA, and you know creates sort of deterioration in the the copying process. But there's also a bunch of other reasons. I mean, you know, there's um, also things like free radicals. You know, free oxygen atoms which are bouncing around and, and go through and create, you know, they, they, they bounce through a, a cell and they, they create mutations as they suck other elements along the way and they can fuck up uh, the genome and that kind of stuff. There's a whole, there's a whole range of things that they think. If you talk to guys like Aubrey de Grey, who I had on the show, there's some Aubrey de Grey in the news, by the way, but yeah, when you talk to guys like Aubrey de Grey, they talk about uh, a whole range of things that could possibly contribute to ageing, but we're working on all of them. You know, <laughs> you know, there's sort of a whole range of things going to try and identify how we stem all of these processes and they're sort of moving together. So uh, it's not clear to me from this story on um, CKG, CGK733 what it's actually uh, working on. But um, it's obviously targeting one of those cellular processes. So we've got to keep an eye on that, man, because I want that drug. Um, Now, speaking of uh, Aubrey de Grey, who was on this very program, which probably means he's about to quit his job at Harvard and um, do a blogging startup, a podcasting startup. As is Doc Searle. So Doc jumped on my blog this morning and said, nah, that's not true. He loves his job. Uh, yeah, because I said, well, you know, the, it was Scoble, and before Scoble on the show was uh, Om, and Om's left to do his own startup, and then before Om on G'day World back in December last year was Doc Searles, was the first time we had Doc on, and I said, you know, that means Doc must be next, and Doc came on and said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not That's fad. He just doesn't want it, because yeah, Om, got, Om wanted to announce uh, it at the end of the month. Yeah, Om got scooped. Yeah, Doc, Doc's just trying to put us off, but it's probably really happening. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty sure a month ago, Scoble would have told everyone he wasn't leaving Microsoft too. Nah, I love Microsoft. I'm happy with Microsoft. Um, so anyway, Aubrey de Grey, there's a thing here as well. Um, now, the Technology Review, which is a magazine, an MIT magazine, last year they announced a $20,000 prize for any molecular biologist who could demonstrate that a much-publicised prescription for defeating ageing by biogerontologist Aubrey de Grey was so wrong that it was unworthy of learned debate. There was a guy who basically jumped on um, Technology Review and wrote that, criticised Aubrey's position on things, and so the Technology Review said, OK, well, if somebody can come up with a scientific basis for why this is uh, rubbish, then we'll pay you $20,000. Says the purpose of the challenge was to determine whether DeGray's proposals, called SENS, S-E-N-S, for Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence, were science or fantasy. And if you want to hear my interview with Aubrey, I'll put a link to it in the show, where he goes into this in quite some depth. Here are the three submissions that qualified for consideration according to the terms of the challenge. The results of the judges' deliberations with their reasoning will be announced on this website on July 11th, 2006, and published in the July-August issue of Technology Review magazine. So they've had uh, three, um, you know, sort of submissions to say Aubrey's full of shit, and Aubrey has rebutted, written a rebuttal for each of those, and then the authors have written a counter-rebuttal to Aubrey's rebuttal, and they're all up on the Technology Review website. And it's fascinating reading, fascinating reading if you're interested in, you know, the science of immortality and where it's currently at and where it's going. 
but I'm guessing because the rebuttals on either side, the, it, it hasn't thrown really any doubt because there's still some openings there in theories, right? Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, there, there are differing viewpoints on how quick these things are going to come to fruition. And, um, you know, the, the, the first guy who is criticising, the first one up there basically says... You know, there's, there's so much damage that goes on in cells that it's impractical to solve all of those. There's just too many points of damage happening in a cell during the ageing process for us to fix all of them. So you're still going to age. Um, so anyway, you, you should go up there and, and read those if you're interested in this kind of stuff. Um, I might get Aubrey back on after the result and uh, see what he mm. has to say. Because I'm absolutely, I mean, I, I'm I'm an absolute believer that at some stage in the next 50 years, between now and 2050, let's say, we are going to have a range of technologies that maybe don't make us immortal in that period, but are unable to extend our lifespan significantly. And also give us the opportunity to repair a lot of genetic problems that we have and uh, give us the ability to augment our human faculties and our, and our human physiology to, uh, you know, solve or fix defects and, and also to improve ourselves in areas never before conceived. You know, um, I'm going in for eye surgery again on Friday, so um, we won't be doing a show on Friday, folks. Um, I'll be in hospital for a few days, and but I keep saying to my doctor, "When are you going to put the bionic eye in?" Okay, you, you know, when when can I go and get the eye that can, uh, you know, has zoom X-ray in. vision, zoom, exactly, digital zoom? I can put it in if I can put it in my Canon DSLR. Surely they can put it in my eye, digital zoom, uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, infrared, night vision. I'm sure we're going to have all of that kind of stuff. I, I want to have that thing in um, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. No, what? Down and Out in the Magic, Magic Kingdom. Kingdom. <laughs> where, where Beverly you, Hills, that's the second one. <laughs> where you look up and you activate the net, you know, and uh, all that kind of stuff. We, we, need, we need to be augmenting our bodies with all this kind of stuff. But you know, also the ability to get rid of cancer, the ability to... St- all the aging process, if not defeat it completely. You know, I think the problem with uh, guy, the, like this guy who said, "Oh, there's too many things going on in the cell; it's impractical to fix them all at once." You know, the, the, the theory behind nanotech is that we will be able to build bots the size of molecules that will swarm around our system, trillions of these things, and we'll be able to do cellular level repair. Uh, at blinding speeds too because obviously at that scale things move much faster and uh, you know the, uh, yeah anyway it's an interesting one though because I would have just thought the argument to that would be okay so a cell is irreparably damaged so just replace it with a new cell get rid well, of that cell put a new cell in yeah, look, you know, I think eventually where I want to get to is getting rid of cells altogether. I mean, cells are, you know, they're a good idea. Sure. By, you know, evolution, thumbs up, two thumbs up, good idea, got the cell, self-replicates. Not not, not bad work. You know, you've had five billion years to work on it, but uh, I think you did okay. But, uh, you know, to me, it's not a good idea. It's like, this is, and this is why the theory of God is stupid, right? People go, well, look at how perfect creation is. Fuck that. Creation, uh, you know, if he was good at what he was doing, if, if God existed and he was so clever, we wouldn't die. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have cancer. I don't have cancer. <laughs> we wouldn't have cancer. You know, uh, hearts wouldn't fail. Well, you know, it's part of God's great plan. Fuck that shit. Uh, you know, I want a heart that, that is made out of carbon fibre. Teflon. I want skin that's made out of Teflon, man. I want to be able to withstand the impact of a bloody plane running into me and walk out of it unscathed. And you can't do that with, you know, sort of these crappy little cells that we've got here. We want... uh uh, what do they call that? Um, what are the stuff that bu- buckyballs are made out of? C60. We want C60 
nanofiber, nanotube skin. That's just me. <laughs> Do you want to live forever, Rich? Would you like I, to be immortal? <clears throat> I haven't put a, a, a serious amount of thought into it. I mean, certainly would like to live longer than I'm, you know, the current life expectancy of the male is. Um, I don't know. It's something that I'd have to think of seriously. I mean, certainly if everybody else is living forever, then uh, I think that's that's not an issue. You know, it's the old uh, Highlander thing, you know, everybody else dying around, you can't be too pleasant. But if everybody else is living, you know, to infinity, then, you know, why not? I, I mean, I love Cory Doctorow's stuff in Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom where they do, right? And there's, you know, no more scarcity and it's just a, a nice sort of thing to happen. And, and even those guys, I think, even some of them decide that they want to um, just stop. But... Uh, but, yeah, it would be nice to be able to be given the option, that's for sure. You know, the, the, the major thing that most people say when I start talking about immortality is, oh, I don't want to be old and crippled and living like that forever, and they miss the point where it's not, that's not the idea, folks, is it's not like you're this 500-year-old shriveled-up bloody 20, piece of calamari. 21-year-old forever. Exactly, exactly. And... And then they go, oh, I'll be working for a living forever. I don't want to work forever and a living. Well, you know, yes, you may be working, and if you hate your life that much, then fair enough. But, um, you know, the flip side to it is uh, the other promise of nanotech is to make everything available. If you have a nanofabricator in your house and all it needs is the downloaded blueprints of chicken risotto, and you throw in some carbon, some oxygen, and some nitrogen, and it build and some sodium, and it builds uh, chicken risotto for you in a matter of seconds, and it comes out the other end from a molecular blueprint. You, you don't need to go and buy your chicken risotto. Um, and and after you've eaten it, you take a dump and you put the dump back into the nano fabricator, and it and builds you, you another chicken. It builds you another chicken risotto. <laughs> Um, but that's the premise, not not the taking a dump bit, but that's the premise of Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom and, and the fact that you don't have to work, but all these people choose to and they end up doing stuff that they really, really enjoy. That they're know, passionate they just, about. Mm. Yeah, they're passionate about it. And that's, that's, that's the point. That's where, you know, everybody kind of wants to get to. Yeah, exactly. All right, I think we've done enough for today. As I said, I'm going to be uh, out of action on Friday for a few days, so uh, probably Monday I might be... Oh, you, now when are you heading off to the US, buddy? Tuesday I head off, um, so probably can do it on, on Monday. Um, and yeah, so, but for all our listeners, I'll be in San Francisco from the 20th I arrive... Um, and I'm there until the 29th when I leave to go to Seattle and then I leave the US on the 2nd of July but that's to go to um, Supernova which is a conference in San Francisco and Gnomedex in Seattle and possibly also going to either BloggerCon or going to Barcamp or both um, because they sort of happen on the weekend after Supernova. So if anyone's going to be around those cities around those times, just flick me an email. It'll be good to catch up. And are you going to be uh, doing podcasts over there for our TechConf channel? Yeah, I'm going to take my uh, headphone set and, and try and do it. I don't know how easy it is for me to record interviews because the headset that I've got is shit. But uh, but I'll be able to give reports on some of the interesting um uh, presentations that I see or, or, you know, particular conversations that I have for sure. Don't you have a little iRiver or something like that, a little portable recorder? No, I should get one. But this conference is going to cost a bloody arm and a leg. Mm-hmm. Last time I went on the trip, somebody was saying, oh, you can borrow my one, which was kind of cool. So I might see if I can see if anyone can loan me one. And I'm going to need a co-host to fill in for two weeks while Rich is away. Mm. Uh, so, you know, Rich, it's like, you know, like the old thing where you, if you leave your desk at work, you come back and somebody's sitting in it. <laughs> so if, uh, if anyone wants to volunteer to co-host G'day World over the next couple of weeks while Rich is away, ping me. You two can be Tonto or a sock puppet or both. <laughs> That's right. Or I might just not do one for two weeks. I might just give it up. And um, I've decided that no, the only podcast that people want to listen to or watch anyway are hot chicks, you know, pimping up tops. tech 
technology new. So I'm, I'm going to do one of those, I think, instead. Going to, going to collapse G'day World and just find myself a couple of bimbos and do a bimbo video news show. What we should do is just create a, uh, a virtual person and then just modify our voices with some software to sound mm, like girls okay. and pretend that we're these. We'll just get some models in, take some photographs of them with headsets on and tight T-shirts or no T-shirts at all and, uh, and just do it that way. And <laughs> just get a, f- and just, uh, like superimpose our mouth over their mouth talking the news <laughs> like Conan O'Brien does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, All right. Well, good on you, mate. Well, have a good weekend, and I'll do, we'll do another show Monday. Yeah, good luck with the surgery, mate. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Hope he doesn't fuck it up this time like he did last time. Yeah. See ya. See ya. Oh, why did I just call you again? That's weird. much more difficult to do Cause I could hope and pray but never find another you From the producers of the Tartan Podcast and the Old Film Podcast comes a new podcast for your Monday mornings The Podcast Network is proud to present The Mellow Monday Show Music with the vibe and the atmosphere and the mood that you need on a Monday morning. The Mellow Monday Show, only on the Podcast Network. Visit mellowmonday.thepodcastnetwork.com